Hi everyone and welcome to the Israel Podcast. I'm your host, Avishai Ben Sasson Goldis. Before we begin, I have a small request. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, consider rating it on iTunes and maybe even dropping a comment. I recently found out that ratings seriously affect whether or not people are exposed to certain podcasts, so if you feel like this podcast deserves a word from you, I'd love for you to give it. And now, back to talking about Israeli politics. In the previous episode, I surveyed the expanding cloud of criminal concerns regarding Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his confidants. In the meantime, several things have happened, and the question of should or shouldn't Netanyahu be required to resign if indicted has become more pressing. So on this episode, I'll be talking a little more about the Netanyahu investigations, what's been happening with them, and what their political fallout might look like. As you might remember, some of Netanyahu's closest advisors, including his personal and political attorney, who also happens to be his cousin, David Shimon, are involved in a graft case surrounding the purchase of submarines from a German corporation. Furthermore, the man Netanyahu appointed as Undersecretary of Communications is now suspended and under investigation for serving the interests of a billionaire who controls Israel's largest telecom company and was also close with Netanyahu. A news website controlled by that same billionaire provided Netanyahu with very positive coverage, prompting at this point unsubstantiated suspicions that Netanyahu's undersecretary wasn't chosen at random and that his collusion with the billionaire was not entirely an accident. On the personal front, Netanyahu's wife is involved in a set of cases that implicates her in improper use of public funds, and the expectation is that she will be indicted soon. Finally, Netanyahu himself is suspected in misconducts in two cases, generally referred to as cases 1000 and 2000. In case 1000, he is suspected of receiving gifts worth many thousands of dollars from wealthy Israeli and foreign citizens, including alcohol and cigars. The police has been trying to establish if there was any give and take with those benefactors that might amount to bribery. Case 2000 centers around recordings of Netanyahu in discussions with the publisher of the Israeli newspaper Yediota Chronot, Noni Moses, in which the two discussed a possible deal. The supposed deal would have Moses' paper turn into a vehicle for support for Netanyahu, and in return Netanyahu would limit the publication of Israel Ayom, a freely distributed newspaper funded at a loss by U.S. billionaire Sheldon Adelson in order to promote right-wing politics and Netanyahu personally that has been steadily eating at Yediot Achonot's profits and influence. To understand just how scandalous these recordings are, you need to know that right around the time in which they were made, Netanyahu's rivals were advancing a bill that would prevent Israel Ayom from operating in the way that it had until then, leading Netanyahu to call an election just to prevent the bill from passing. Israel Ayom habitually referred to Yediot as Nani's empire of evil. When it turned out that Moses and Netanyahu were actually negotiating a marriage of convenience, the shock was equivalent to what you would get if it turned out that the New York Times and Trump's recurring spats are actually a clever ploy to boost ratings for both. But how did the police come into possession of these recordings? The answer is they were recorded by Netanyahu's chief of staff at the time, Ari Harrow. Harrow is a 42-year-old American-born political consultant who immigrated with his family to Israel when he was 12. For years, he worked for the Likud party and for Netanyahu personally, and as part of this, he served as Netanyahu's bureau chief between 2009 and 2010. He returned to Netanyahu's service as chief of staff between 2014 and 2015. 
and in late 2015 he was arrested under the suspicion that as the Prime Minister's chief of staff, he continued to covertly and illegally operate a lobbying firm. During his investigations, his phone was searched, and the recordings of Netanyahu and Moses were seized, leading to a separate investigation against Netanyahu. In recent weeks, several things happened with these investigations to push them forward, but I'll focus only on two of these developments. First, the police requested a gag order from the courts regarding the investigation against Netanyahu that stated officially for the first time that he's under investigation on counts of bribe and breach of trust. Up until that point, it was assumed that that was the direction in which the investigation was headed. But that was only a rumor. Now it's official. Second, the state prosecution signed a state witness agreement with Harrow. Harrow, who managed many of Netanyahu's connections with donors and attended some of the meetings with Moses, will provide information, presumably on Netanyahu's actions, and in return he will not serve prison time for his crimes. Instead, he will pay a large fine and will do six months of community service. Netanyahu himself continues to insist that nothing will come of any of the investigations. The recent developments led to an intensification in weekly public protests outside the home of the Attorney General, who in Israel is also the head of the prosecution, and demands that he expedite the investigation against Netanyahu. In response, the Likud, Netanyahu's party, and its Knesset members organized a contra-protest in the same area. The height of the response by the Netanyahu loyalist to the growing discussion of this alleged corruption was an event held in Tel Aviv last week. Thousands of Likud supporters showed up to hear Netanyahu giving a speech in which he blamed the media and the left that serves it, that was a quote, of conducting an unprecedented witch hunt, again a quote, against him and his family with the aim of performing a coup d'etat. He argued that the left and the media, which he called one and the same, are pursuing a legal vendetta against him because they are unable to unseat him democratically and because he refuses to withdraw from territories and advance a compromise with the Palestinians. Setting aside the inaccuracies of the speech and the unrestrained delegitimization of opposing views and of the media in the speech, he is actually making an argument that is worth dwelling on. As Netanyahu stated in problematic terms, and as other Likud members and right-wing pundits pointed out, there is room to ask if legal proceedings should be able to depose an elected head of state. Presumably, the people who elected the chief executive should be allowed to choose as their representative whomever they want. As a result, prominent politicians from Netanyahu's party and its coalition partners have made it clear that they do not expect Netanyahu to resign even if he is indicted although many of the same people called on Netanyahu's predecessor, Olmert, to suspend himself and even resign altogether, even before he was indicted. So while those politicians may have a point, they are also probably at least somewhat opportunistic. But before I explain why I think their point is mistaken, and even a prime minister should resign when indicted, let me first explain what the law has to say about this. Legal precedent in Israel requires the prime minister to fire a minister who's been indicted without waiting to hear what the court's verdict is going to be in their case. However, when it comes to the prime minister himself, the law requires no such thing. The law states that if the prime minister is convicted, a majority of Knesset members may vote to remove him, and if the verdict becomes final, presumably after a failed appeal, the government will be considered to have been dissolved. This is not a mistake on the part of the law, since the Prime Minister's resignation dissolves the government by Israeli law, the legislator chose to put off his required resignation to the last possible moment in the legal process. Notice that this law permits investigations against an active Prime Minister, and even court debates in his case. 
This law was never put to the test since Olmert's coalition partners decided to demand that he resign before an indictment was served to him. Without a coalition, an Israeli prime minister is no longer a prime minister anyway, so the discussion of legal requirements became kind of a moot point, with Olmert at least. But now, Netanyahu's partners are either quiet on the matter, like Kahlon, or openly stating that he shouldn't resign, and the law is on their side. So why is it that I think he should resign if indicted? My first reason has to do with political morality. While criminally speaking, public officials are innocent until proven guilty, just like anyone else, from a public standpoint, they can be expected to conform to a higher standard of behavior, and the evidence against Netanyahu is such that he was already shown to be lacking several virtues that the public can expect in its officials. But you may ask, the public has shown repeatedly that they want Netanyahu as prime minister through their votes. Well, that's not exactly precise either. Netanyahu's party, the Likud, has a quarter of the seats in the Knesset. And Netanyahu himself was not elected directly by that quarter of the voters that voted for his party. He was elected as head of the Likud by a few dozen thousand members of the party itself. This isn't to say that he isn't a legitimate prime minister, on the contrary, only that the process that led him to that position is not such that we can easily claim that him personally being the prime minister is the purest expression of majority rule. At best, we can say that the Likud can choose a replacement for him, as the law allows it to do, and demand that he step down. In staying the prime minister under investigation, Netanyahu has an interest to use his bully pulpit to preach against law enforcement authorities investigating him and delegitimize those who oppose his actions. This is not merely a hypothetical. In his speech in Tel Aviv last week, he did exactly that. Instead of protecting the institutions of which he is in charge, he undermines them. By protecting allegedly corrupt officials, we are also incentivizing such corruption and then the use of office to escape judgment. And finally, if it does turn out that he was falsely accused, which seems highly unlikely given how hesitant law enforcement organizations were to move forward when they had the slightest doubt regarding his actions, his return will be immensely powerful. So for all of these reasons, while I do see the merit of the Likud's argument here, I believe that if indicted, Netanyahu should resign. And while I hope this is the last time Israel confronts the reality of Prime Minister being indicted, I'll take the same position in the future since the health of our democratic institutions is more important than almost any action a specific individual might be able to take. That's it for this episode. Thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, consider rating the podcast on iTunes and subscribing to it. In the meantime, I invite you to continue the conversation on the podcast Facebook page at facebook.com slash theisraelpodcast or on soundcloud.com. A full text version of the episode is available on the medium.com page of the podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at AvishaiBSG, that's Avishai with a Y, and on my personal Facebook page.